Good morning, everyone. Good morning, yeah. Wow, what a beautiful time of worship this morning. Yes, I just feel like I was really encouraged that we just serve a really good God. It's really, like Ryan was saying, just a kind, good, and gracious God, and I was just really encouraged by that this morning. Um, so glad you all are here. Hope you're having a good start to your Sunday. Um, we have been in this series called Grace Gifts, and we've been looking at the different giftings that Christ had said that he has given to the church, to equip the church, to build us up, to do the work that he has called us to do. And this comes out of Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 12, which says he gave these different giftings to the church. He gave us apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher for us to walk and live out. And we've been using also this metaphor of a mirror, you can see it here, throughout this series, because we believe that through these giftings, God wants to hold up a mirror to us. Jesus wants to hold up a mirror to us that reflects our truest, most authentic, most real self, that will show us the giftings and the callings that he's given each of us that can actually, I'm not, this is not my words, this is from Ephesians 4, can change the world. We can do that through these giftings. But the trouble is that the world is also holding up some mirrors to us. All of these different lies that it wants us to believe about who we are and who we are supposed to be. I don't know about you, but I wake up some mornings and the voices that the world is declaring over me are sometimes the loudest. Words that say things like, hey, you need to get up, you need to be the most superhuman version of yourself today so that everyone will think that you have it all together and that you can handle everything. Anyone else ever hear anything like that when you wake up in the morning? Yeah, what were some of the, you don't have to say them out loud, just think, reflect, some of the lies maybe that you woke up believing this morning that the world was trying to declare over you? Or maybe it's not even the Sunday morning mirror that's the problem for you or gives you trouble. Maybe it's the Monday morning one. The one that says, hey, it's time to get up. It's time to go to work. It's time to do X, Y, and Z so that you can achieve all of these things and be as successful and as happy as the world tells you you can be if you believe the lies of the worldly mirrors. Who has been inside one of those funhouse mirror rooms before? Okay, some of you. I personally try to avoid those because they give me the heebie-jeebies, but you all know what I'm talking about when I say a funhouse mirror. There was this one time I was in a ladies' room. Don't worry, it's not gonna get TMI. And they had a full-length mirror there. And when you walked up to it, it distorted your image like a funhouse mirror. And on it was written, trust us, you look amazing. And at first you're like, oh, that's kind of sweet. Yes, like I just have to believe that I look good and then I'll look good. But then you're like, wait a minute, this mirror could just be lying to me. This random establishment put up this mirror and I'm just supposed to trust that it tells me I look amazing? That is what the world is doing to us every day, holding up this mirror of this distorted image of you that you've started to buy into. And you're believing, hey, I look amazing in this mirror. But is it working? Are you happy? Do you feel fulfilled? Are the lives of those around you being changed for the better? If the answer to any of those questions is no, then we need to change. We need to hold up a different mirror, the one created by God that can reveal to you the good work, this good gifting that you've been given that can change your life, transform your heart, and then change the world around you. Sound good? Sound like something we all want? Yes? Great, okay. So this week we're going to be looking at the third mirror that Christ holds up for the church. Douglas shared with us about apostle, 
Meredith shared with us about profit, and I'm going to be sharing with you this week about evangelists. And last week, Meredith said that she had some trouble with the prophet gifting because the Bible is full of verses about the prophets, hundreds of verses about the prophets, and it can be overwhelming to decide what to share. Well, this week, I had the opposite problem because this might surprise you, but the word evangelist is only in scripture three times. Just three, only three. So what can we learn about being an evangelist by three pa- with three passages of scripture? We're gonna find out together this morning. So let's dive in. The first instance that it's mentioned or that we're gonna talk about, not the first one in the Bible, comes from Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, which is our key verse for this series, which says, I'm just gonna read it to you to remind you, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So yes, one of the three times we have to work with here is the verse that just tells us that he gave some to be evangelists. But what can we learn from that? First, we can learn that even though it's only mentioned in scripture three times, it is a gift that Christ gave to the church. So we need to pay attention to it. We need to learn from it. What does this mean for us? The other thing is that in Ephesians 4, 7, it says that Christ gave us these gifts from the measure that he had them. So Christ had all of these giftings and he gave them to the church a certain measure. So Christ was the ultimate evangelist. We can look at his life and know he was the perfect evangelist. So the second instance where evangelist is mentioned It comes from Acts 21, where we can learn about the only person in scripture, only one, who was directly called an evangelist. So turn to your Bibles, Acts chapter 21, if you have them. If you want a Bible, there's some people in the back who can hand one to you if you raise your hand, if you want one, need one. Okay, well, there's people that can give them to you if you do. Chanel up here, calling you out by name. Um, So turn to Acts 21. If you don't know where Acts is, it's right after the Gospels, right after John. And you can find it there. And we're going to be in verses 7 through 9, which says, When we, we here is Luke and Paul at the end of Paul's third missionary journey, completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached, I'm sorry guys, I'm going to say this wrong, but Potamus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Okay, there you have it, guys. That's it. You know that you are an evangelist if your name is Philip and you have four virgin daughters who have the gift of prophecy. That's all I've got for you this morning. This is the only time in scripture that we learn about an evangelist. No, I'm just kidding. But really, every week we've been sharing a definition for each gifting so that you can get a glimpse into what this person does, what this gifting does. And this week, we have this one for you. Thankfully, it has nothing to do with how many daughters you do or do not have. But it is one who is compelled by the Spirit to share the good news of Jesus, overcoming bad news, demonstrating the power of, and making clear the mysteries of God, baptizing new believers, and advancing the kingdom. So, in Acts 21, we learn about this guy named Philip. But thankfully, this is not the first time in scripture that he's mentioned, and we can learn a lot about his ministry as an evangelist in other places in Acts. So let's dive in. First, the first thing we're gonna dive into in this definition, one who is compelled by the Spirit to share the good news. Now I want you to stop for just a a second and think about the best news that you received this week. 
the best news that you got. Think about it. The most exciting news you got. You guys have something? Thinking of something? Maybe some of you. Think about the emotions that stirred up in you. Did it bring you joy? Maybe happiness? Peace? Maybe hope? Now, some of you might know this because I talk about it all the time and I've said it from up here before, but I am not a summer person. Don't like it. Don't like the heat. Don't like summer clothes. Don't like the bugs. Don't like any part of it. So this week when the temperatures dropped back down to the 80s and all of the fall things started to appear in all the stores, that was the good news for me this week. Amen, amen. yes. Whew. If nothing else gets an amen, that is the one that deserves it this week. But I wasn't just excited about this good news because I love cooler weather. I was thinking about all the exciting things that it means for my family. Family traditions, cozy clothes, warm cups of coffee on a crisp morning with crunchy leaves. Right? It's so beautiful. It is the good news to me. Now think about your good news. After you got it this week, did you share it with anyone? When I went to Target on Friday, like you do, to pick up a couple things, I stumbled upon the fall candle aisle, this new beautiful display with all the fall flavors, and I immediately felt compelled to text a fellow fall-loving friend, try to say that five times fast, all of these beautiful candles and tell her that I had, yes, smelled all of them and was buying two. And she was so excited and said she was gonna go to Target that night and buy some herself. This is the work of the evangelist. <laughs> yes, right? Sharing the good news of Target fall candles. No, they feel so compelled by the good news in their life that they have to share it. They have to get it out. They have to bring it into the world. But not just any good news, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Now, in the Bible, the phrases good news and gospel are interchangeable. And usually they're, follow, they're in a phrase that includes preach the, share the, or bring the. See them up here? Yes. Now, I don't want to get too into the minutia of this, and I'm going to butcher some words for you in just a second, and I apologize in advance, because we would all feel like we're in school, but I do want to touch on something really, really cool. So these verb phrases here about preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, bringing the gospel, they all are translated roughly back into the same in the Greek, which is this word, euangelizo. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Greek scholars, come and correct me after. I would love for you to. But then the really cool part is that they have the same root of the noun evangelist, which is euangelisto. Very similar words. Really cool. So an evangelist is essentially someone who does these things, these verbs, naturally. It's their natural expression of how they live their life and walk out their gifting. So even though the words evangelist, the noun, the person, is only in Scripture three times, these verb phrases are in Scripture over 50 times. And we see it all throughout the New Testament. So what is the good news? How are we going to define that this morning? It is the life of Jesus, the person of Jesus, who Jesus was. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So ultimately, if you're sharing the good news, you are sharing who Jesus was. 
and what he did, that he came, that he died, that he was resurrected, all for us, that we might have life and have it to the fullest. It is this beautiful message of good news. So let's see what this looked like in the life of Philip, the evangelist. Turn with me now to Acts 8. This is where we're gonna camp out for most of the day because this is the expression of Philip's ministry as an evangelist. In Acts 8, we learn what later in life gave him the title, Philip the Evangelist. So there are two stories in Acts 8 that we're gonna kind of jump around in, so I don't want you to be confused. So I'm going to very briefly, very, very briefly summarize them for you. The first is that Philip goes to Samaria and he preaches the good news. He brings the gospel. It's very well received. He also runs into this guy named Simon the Sorcerer, which sounds like it's a character from Lord of the Rings, but it is not. It's in the scriptures. And it goes over really well with him too, but maybe not for the right reasons. We'll get into that. And then he finds himself on this road, and there's a chariot with this Ethiopian official, and he shares the gospel with him too. And it all works out great. But we're going to dive into more details as we move along here. I just wanted you to have a little bit of context so you wouldn't be super lost. But in Acts 8, it specifically says we see Philip share the gospel over and over again. In verse 5, it says that Philip went to Samaria and preached the word and proclaimed the Messiah to them. And then in verse 12, he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. He then met with the Ethiopian official, and verse 35 says that Philip told him the good news of Jesus beginning in Isaiah. So we see here through the life of Philip that evangelists share the good news of Jesus. That is what they do. But not only do they share it, they are compelled to share it. They must share the good news of Jesus. Who here has ever felt like you just had to do something? Like if you didn't do it, you would actually burst. Yes, Todd, I saw your hand there. Yes, yep, Brandon, mm-hmm. yes. I have a lot of opinions. The staff will laugh at this. I'm a very opinionated person. And sometimes the fact that I just have to share them has gotten me in a lot of trouble. Um, or I think about my two-year-old. Two-year-olds, they struggle with compulsion. That is all they want to do is whatever they want. And she's at that age, she's working on it, she's doing such a good job, but she just can't help herself. When we tell her not to do something, she has to do it just one more time. Like we'll say, hey, don't touch that. And she has to just be like, like just the tiniest little light touch. And I don't think she can help it. She must do it one more time. Or think about it in a better light. Maybe a time when you felt like you had to send a friend that prayer or that scripture that would encourage them and you just couldn't get them off your mind until you sent that text or made that phone call. This is what it's like for the evangelist. They must do this work. They are bursting to do it. In Luke 4.18, Jesus shared about his ministry for the first time. He made this declaration about what his ministry was going to be about when he went back to his hometown. And he said this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. He didn't just say, I'm gonna go out and preach the good news. He said, the spirit is on me. I have been anointed for this work. I must go and do these powerful works through the gospel message that I am going to proclaim to the people. It was the thing he had to do. In the case of Philip in Acts 8, we don't get the full context for why he went to Samaria, but based on what happens after he preaches the word there, we get the idea that he is being led and guided by the Spirit. Because after he preaches the good news in Samaria, this happens next. In verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, 
get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. So every step that Philip is taking on this evangelical journey, the spirit is guiding him in. But this is the really cool part. After he shares the good news, we read this in verse 39. The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus and was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. How amazing is that? Has anyone here ever been like picked up by the Spirit and just taken to the next place you're supposed to preach the gospel? Yeah, you've never just appeared somewhere you're supposed to bring the good news? Well, if you're an evangelist, buckle up, because that could be coming for you. You don't know. Have the faith, believe that it could come. But Philip was so, com- so led and literally compelled by the Spirit to do this good work. And some of you in here, the, those of you who feel like you might have some of this evangelist gifting, you might be feeling this all the time, this pressing of the Spirit to go, to talk to someone, to do the next thing. Even now, sitting in these pews, you might be like, oh, I'm feeling this, this, this push to go out to the park. And who knows what will happen when you get down there. Maybe you'll walk down there and the Lord's like, hey, now go down the little gravel path. Okay, now go down to that bench. You see that woman sitting there? Go and talk to her. See what she's thinking about. That is the compelling thing that happens to the evangelist. And honestly, it can be kind of scary. And this word that I feel like I have for you evangelists this morning that I feel like the Lord has given to me is brave. Be brave. Be bold. Lean into these compelling things that the Holy Spirit is pressing down on your heart and see what happens when you take that step in obedience. I know it can be scary, Because remember, we have these worldly mirrors that are being held up to us, that are lying to us, that are saying, you don't really want to do that. You're hungry. Your family's hungry. Your your children are cranky. Don't you just want to go home? Won't it be kind of weird if you go down to the park and talk to a stranger? That's kind of weird, right? That's not what we do in our society, in the world. But look at the life of Philip. He was never put to shame when he followed this pull and draw of the Holy Spirit. When he did it, lives were transformed. Incredible things happened. See what happens when you take that step in boldness and bravery to share the power of the gospel. But that is not all that happens when we share the good news. What happens next is that for evangelists is they overcome bad news with the good news. Evangelists don't just share the good news. They overcome the bad news. When Philip shared the good news in Samaria, it was a place that Jewish people did not often go. These people had not heard the good news. He was bringing it to them for the first time. But not only that, they had been hanging around this guy named Simon the sorcerer. And this is what happened when they were around him in verses 9 through 11. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. Here we see the people of Samaria longing for someone to follow, longing for something to believe in, longing to see amazing works that would erase the bad news in their life and bring the hope and the healing and the transformation that they were longing for. And they were hoping to find it in this man, Simon. I think that we can all agree that not much has changed from the time of Samaria in our lives, in the lives of those around us. 
there is bad news that we are all walking in, that we're all believing about ourselves, that we're all experiencing from just the hard things in our life, like the things Ryan was talking about earlier. And we're looking in so many places to find that good news that can transform our lives and actually bring us hope and healing to cover the bad things, to overcome the bad things. And because of this, we all have voices that we follow every day that tell us they can help us with that. They can change our health, our habits, our productivity, our work style, our lifestyle, and we can be happy, more hopeful, more full beings. But what we know and what the people of Samaria saw in Simon the Sorcerer is that it was just all empty magic tricks. It did not have the hope and the healing that could come from the true gospel of Jesus. So in Acts 8, when Philip comes and he shares the good news, the people recognize the difference between this powerful gospel and the magic tricks that they had been following. Even Simon knows the difference and believes because he knows that he's just peddling lies to these people to get them to follow him. So for this reason, when the good news that Philip shares hit their ears, and there's some other reasons we're about to get into in a second, they knew that something different was happening. This is the beautiful work that you as evangelists get to step into. You get to walk into places where the bad news is being readily received and experienced and where false hope is being spread to people. And you get to shatter that and cover it with the real hope and healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the work that you get to do if you follow the pressing of the Holy Spirit. But why did this work? Why was this effective? Why did the people of Samaria see the difference? It's because Philip didn't just come in with words. He came in with two other things. He demonstrated the power of God, and he made clear the mysteries of God. This is the work that the evangelist brings with them when they share the gospel. Think about a time when you're being told good news, maybe even good news that seems a little too good to be true. What's your response? I don't know. Prove it. Prove it, right? We all want proof that the good news that we're being told is actually going to transform our lives. That's why we read every single Amazon review, especially the one stars, before we buy a product, because we want to believe it's actually going to work for us. Why do you think Thomas asked for Jesus to prove that he was the risen Messiah? Because let's be honest, that story probably seemed like it was a little too good to be true. Really, you just rose from the dead? Really? Show me the proof. Give it to me. Show me that you are really our risen Savior. And God is so kind to us, like Ryan said. He's so gracious with us. He knows that if we are going to actually step into this, we need to believe in the power of the gospel. We need to see it firsthand that it's actually going to bring healing into our lives. So what did Philip do when he went to Samaria? In verses 5 through 8, he went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip was saying, as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. See what happened when he came in and he declared the good news? But more than that, he actually showed them the power that the gospel has is real. And the response was joy. It was great joy. The people saw that what they had been missing from the lies of Simon was actually being fulfilled in this power of the gospel. And if you're an evangelist, again, this can be really scary. You're like, man, I have to share the good news and I have to somehow pull all these miracles out of my back pocket so that people believe what I'm actually saying. No, that's not it. What's incredible is that the gospel is already packed with this power. 
All you have to do is take the step in obedience to proclaim the word and then God is going to do the rest. He is going to show up because the power of the gospel is already full of the work that can transform lives and overcome bad news with good news. That is what you will do when you bring the gospel into these spaces. But more than just demonstrating the power of God, you as evangelists have the power to make the mysteries of God clear. When Simon was led by the Holy Spirit to meet the Ethiopian official, it went like this, starting in verse 29. The, Philip, the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. I think that there's a lie that we as the church are believing, that everyone who's not part of the church, not part of a church family, has heard about Jesus, has had a full understanding of who Jesus is and what the gospel is saying, and has chosen, actively chosen to reject him. I don't think that's true at all. I think in our area, it's unlikely that many people haven't heard something about Jesus, but I can say with certainty, they do not understand him. And they especially don't understand the gospel message that he's trying to bring, that hope and healing into their life. And it's because they've believed a lot of lies and they've probably experienced a lot of hurt from his followers. And they don't know what to believe about who Jesus is or what the gospel is or what this message of hope actually is. They're being fed all of this information that contradicts what they think people are telling them about Jesus. And as an evangelist, you have a unique gifting to make all of that clear. By the way you share the gospel, you get to demonstrate who Jesus really was. This loving, kind, compassionate man who came to heal them of all of the hard things in their life and bring them hope in a future. You get to cut right through all of those lies they're believing about who he is and make the mysteries of God clear. And then the really cool thing is that when you do this work, there are two results that follow. The first is baptizing new believers. So after Philip demonstrated the power of the gospel, everyone was always baptized. That is what we see here in Acts 8. So when he went to Samaria and he shared the good news and he showed them all of this power of the gospel, men, women, and children, and even Simon were all baptized into the faith. And then when he was on, in the chariot with the Ethiopian official, and he heard the good news. This is what it says in verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, I think this is one of the most beautiful stories of baptism in all of scripture because the eunuch is clearly so drawn in, so compelled by this gospel message that he cannot wait to get into that water. Like I'm imagining them kind of sitting together and, Phil, and the 
Ethiopian official. I wish he had a name. That would make this a lot easier. I mean, it's just kind of like swiveling his neck like, man, is there some water? You know, it's like when you're riding in the car with your friend and you're looking for a Starbucks so you can get them to like skirt in. That's how I imagine that the Ethiopian official is with Philip. He's looking for water. He's desperate for water and he sees it and he's like, there it is. Let's do this. I want to be baptized. He doesn't care where it is. He doesn't overthink it. He doesn't care what's going on. He is just ready to start his journey with Jesus. And that is because of how clear Philip made the gospel message to him. He conveyed the life and story of Jesus in such a way that he could not wait to start a journey in a relationship with him. And I can't say this with 100% certainty, so come and contradict me on it if you want, but I think that evangelists are uniquely equipped to baptize, to offer baptism to people. So if you're an evangelist and you have it on your heart, like, hey, I really think this person should be baptized, be brave, be bold, baptize the three Bs of evangelism. No, I'm just kidding. But offer it to them, extend that. You might have a special favor in your life through this gifting to baptize new believers. Just gonna throw that out there. And finally, another result of this work of the evangelist is advancing the kingdom. When Philip goes to Samaria, he is bringing the good news to a people who have never heard it. He is breaking down these walls. He's crossing these lines. But this is a really interesting part, and I found that, find this to be the coolest part in all of Acts 8. It doesn't stop with him sharing the good news. After he shares the good news, he's taken away by the Holy Spirit. But then this happens in verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was giving through the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Remember, at this point, he has been baptized into the faith and he's saying these things. But Peter told him, may, sil may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift, of, the gift of God with money. You have no part to share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So here we get to see this really cool interaction between two of the grace gifts that we've already talked about. So the evangelist comes in, they advance the kingdom, they bring the good news and the gospel into the good news and the gospel into new spaces. They baptize people in Philip baptizes people into the faith. And then the apostles come in and they continue to preach and encourage and disciple and they give the Holy Spirit, which is really interesting. There might be something there. Somebody research that about apostles and the Holy Spirit and evangelists and baptism and come back to me. But um, there might be something cool there. But they even have this moment with Simon, who's been baptized into the faith, but then they dig in a little bit more and they get under the surface and they disciple him through these heart things that he's working through. And I just think it's this really cool picture of how the gifts interact in this story in Acts. Um, but for the evangelist, they do this work of advancing the kingdom, which leads us into a couple more traits about the evangelist we're gonna talk about this morning. Um, each week, we've been talking about the strengths and weaknesses of each gifting, and it's been really helpful for me to hear. 
but I'm not gonna lie to you, it was really difficult for me to come up with weaknesses for the evangelist because I find this the hardest thing to do. Like, if you had to rank these giftings, I don't even know that you should do that. I don't think that's biblical, but it would be my lowest. Like, I am terrified to go out. I'm worried I'm gonna hurt someone's feelings. I'm not a natural evangelist. So I'm like, y'all are doing great. You're out there doing the work of the Lord. I cannot fault you anything. Um, But I did dig in because I wanted to share some things with y'all this morning and found some different strengths and weaknesses that we're gonna dive into. So the first strength of the evangelist is confident. They're confident, but not just in a natural sense. I mean, specifically, they're confident in the world and they're confident with their faith in the world. They're just as confident about their faith out in the world as they are in the church building, which I just find incredible. That is not my natural tendency. It's so beautiful. You all know so well that when you share your faith out in the world, transformation happens, healing happens, hope comes. Now, the weakness of this that you have to watch out for is conforming. When you're out in the world that much, the lines can get blurred of in the world and of the world, and you have to watch that tendency Because if you're not careful, you will start to present a gentle, watered-down gospel. And what we see from Jesus is that a gentle gospel never changed lives. And it was never the one that we were supposed to bring to people. And the beautiful thing is that Scripture tells us how to avoid this in Romans 12, 2, which says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is a verse that I encourage all of you evangelists to dig into and a practice for you to establish in your life. The second strength is rescuing. You are on the front lines of the faith. You are out there rescuing the lost. You have this life preserver of the gospel that they didn't even know that they needed that can save them and bring them hope and healing. This other side of that is abandoning. So not by your own intent, not by any work of your own, but this can be an accidental weakness of the evangelist. We saw that somehow Philip got word back to the apostles in Jerusalem that he had advanced the kingdom into Samaria. And when they heard that, they knew it was their time to go in and to continue sharing the gospel. So if you're an evangelist, make sure that you have this home base of apostles and shepherds who can step in and continue your work. We don't wanna stop you. We want you to stay on the front lines. We want you to be swept away by the Holy Spirit onto the next thing. So just make sure that you have a good team who can walk with you in this work. Which leads me to the next thing, the strength, growing. You grow the church. That is something that is uniquely on you. And I don't mean the little C church like this room. I mean the global church. You advance it. You bring new believers into the kingdom. It's so beautiful. But the caution here, the weakness is a word that we came up with in staff, which is sneering, which is a kind of a funny word. But if you're not careful as the evangelist, you can start to sneer at the local church. You can be out in the world so much that when you come back and you sit in a pew, you're like, you guys are missing it. Like you might even wanna get up and yell at everyone. What are you doing? Why are you just sitting here? There are non-believers out there who don't know the good news of Jesus and we all need to get up now and we need to go out there and we need to rescue them. And if you're feeling that tendency, if you have any of that inside of you, you're probably an evangelist and you need to go out and do that work. But be cautious. Remember what John and Peter did. They were, he was able to call back on the church that he had, his community that he had to continue his work. And if you're an evangelist, the church is for you too and you need it. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another 
on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This verse seems to say that if you're an evangelist and you neglect meeting, you are gonna lose the encouragement to continue sharing the gospel. So just remember, this is for you too, and you need it. The final strength is compelling. As an evangelist, you have this unique gifting to make the gospel such a compelling story. You, you are so connected to the good news of Jesus that when you share it, lives are changed, transformation happens. Think about um, the, the, so sorry, but the opposite of that is forcing. So think about Philip when he went and met with the Ethiopian official. He didn't run up to the chariot saying like, hey, you need to believe the good news of Jesus. He approached it and said, I see that you are reading this. He asked some questions. He said, do you want me to help you understand what you are reading? Do you understand what you are reading? He approached him with curiosity and compassion and empathy, stepping into his story so that he could share the gospel with him. So if you're an evangelist, just remember that if you're sharing this message and it doesn't sound like good news to the person you're sharing it with, you've probably missed it somehow. You've gotten maybe so focused on yourself and your calling and this message that you just have to get out that you've forgotten that it's meant to be good, transformative news to who you're bringing it to. Um, the band can go ahead and come up now if y'all want to, but I want to share what does this look like in practice? So in, the, in your everyday life, what does this look like? And the interesting thing, and I truly think this, is that out of all five of these giftings, this is the only one that every single person in this room is called to in some capacity. We are all called to share the good news. Remember, amen, yes. Remember earlier when I was sharing about the noun evangelist and the verb evangelize, I think that in Ephesians 4 and in the life of Philip, we see these evangelists who naturally do this work. It just naturally flows out of them. But in the third instance where evangelist is mentioned in scripture, some of y'all might have been counting, you're like, she forgot, she said there were three, she's only talked about two. We see this coming from um, Paul to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4, two through five, which says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Here, Paul is passing the cloak to Timothy. He's discipling him. He's saying, okay, Timothy, you might be an apostle, but the way that you are going to fulfill your ministry is by sharing the gospel. We see this in how Jesus talks to his followers. We see this in how Paul, as an apostle, lives out his calling, his mission. All he does is the work of the evangelist. He brings the good news. And that is a work that we are all called to, even if it's not natural for us. I think it's a muscle that we can build. So if you're an evangelist and I'm holding up this mirror to you and you're seeing any parts of this calling, you have a beautiful gifting that has been given to you. You have the privilege and the ability and the power to go out and share the good news in a way that will shatter the bad news and bring hope and healing into the lives of those around you that will advance the kingdom. But you also have this beautiful work of showing us all how to do it. 
We all need your example. We need to be shown how to do this good work. Because just as Christ holds up this mirror to you and reveals to you your truest, most healed and hopeful self, you need to teach us how to hold that mirror up to the rest of the world. Because we all know there are people in our lives who are experiencing really bad news. Hardship, hopelessness, anxiety. They're your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, your family. You know, they tell you about the bad news that they're experiencing. You know what they're walking through. And you, every person in this room, has the power to share the good news of Jesus, a gospel that will penetrate, that will overcome that bad news with good news and bring transformation. So evangelists, help us in leading the way to be the good news to the world, a good news that will advance the kingdom and change lives and bring hope. Amen. Now, I feel like I would be remiss this morning if I did not um, share this. This was put on my heart earlier today while we were in our time of prayer. And I just feel like there might be some people in this room this morning that have never heard the gospel, that have never heard the hope of Jesus. And if that's you, before we enter this time of response, I just wanna share this with you, that there is a good father who came to earth for you to experience this life so that he could walk with us. He could know the hardship and the struggles that we walk through. He could be with us. He could demonstrate his kindness and his love for us. But not only that, because of his great love for you, he sacrificed himself. He died for you so that your sins could be forgiven and that you, so that you could receive this hope and this healing. But even more, he rose again on the third day. He conquered death. He overcame the ultimate bad news. And not just so that we could also experience new life, but so that we could experience real relationship with him. The love of a father that can, can sustain us day in and day out as we're walking through these hard things. So if you've never received that hope, if you've never received that healing, that hope of Jesus, I just encourage you this morning, find a member of our prayer team. Tell them that you want to accept Jesus this morning, that you want to start a journey of walking with him, just like that Ethiopian official, that you're ready, you're ready to start that journey with the Lord. I encourage you to just step into that. So at this time, we're going to respond to this message. We're going to take communion. And the beautiful thing about communion is it is a reminder of this good work of Jesus, that this good work that Jesus did for us, his body that was broken for us, his blood that was spilled for us so that we can experience the everlasting life of Jesus. So at this time, I just encourage you to respond, respond to the good news of Christ this morning, take communion, find someone from the prayer team, start your relationship with Jesus. If you're an evangelist, explore what that might look like. Be brave, step into something new this morning, embrace that gifting in that calling that Jesus has for you this morning. I just feel like I should pray for us as we close today. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to this earth, that he might humble himself, that he might um, experience life with us, Lord, that we know that we have a savior who can relate to us, Lord. And I just thank you for the sacrifice that he gave so that we could have life and have it to the fullest. I thank you for the work of the evangelist who is spreading this good news out into the world, changing lives, advancing the kingdom, bringing healing and hope and transformation. And Lord, I just thank you for what you have done in all of our hearts this morning, just reminding us of how good and how kind and how wonderful you are. Amen.